Hey, everybody. It's Tracy. And I just wanted to take a few moments to give everyone a thorough measure to the minute update on what's going on with the show. And more importantly, where heaven is and if heaven is coming back and if we are secretly lying to you guys and heaven now lives on a colony on Mars and she's never actually coming back. So this whole time, maybe you've just been waiting for something that's never going to happen. First and foremost, heaven does not live on a colony in Mars. And so I wish that I could give you like a very definite date to the hour and the the minute and the second and the nanosecond as to when she's coming back. But the truth is I can't do that. But that does not mean that she's not coming back to the show. And it is so, so important to me that you all know that as our listeners, we do this for you. We love you dearly. And we would never make a huge change to the show and just not tell people about it. We love you. And you just, you know, just trust us and keep riding with us, keep rocking with us, keep being patient with us as we continue to work on how to keep the show going, not only for us, but for you, because you're really the ones that we do it for. So that's what's up with heaven. And now let's talk about what's going on with me. So I think self-care is a thing that we've probably been talking about since our very, very, very first episode. So you know that self-care is a thing that we're very passionate about. We're very serious about it. We don't play around about it. We're always preaching self-care to you, our lovely listeners. Um, Making the show is tough and it's tough for two people. And um, it's even tougher for one. So as I've been in the studio doing lots of heavy lifting, making really big decisions, um, you know, my, my brain just needs a break to look at some other things and think some other thoughts and, you know, really be able to come back to the studio with a a fresh basket of brain ideas. (laughs) Brain ideas. I just need new brain ideas. And um, I also want to get back to writing, which is something that I miss so very much. It's literally the thing that I feel like I was put on this earth to do. And I really feel like I've forgotten how, which is a whole scary thing that I'm going to be talking to my therapist about. That's another thing that I'm going to do during this break is find me a therapist because self-care is important. I deserve that just as much as you all do. I'm really excited because I have a lot of new projects and stuff that um, I got going on that I can't talk about right now, but I can't wait to get back and tell you all about it. But this is something that I really, really, really need. And a hard part about self-care sometimes is doing it even when you would rather put other people in their needs above your own. So this is not easy for me to do, but I'm doing it because if I don't, then I can't, I can't keep telling you awful jokes and making you laugh for some strange reason. So for the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing some of our favorite stuff from past shows. I'm going to get some deep cuts going for y'all. We're putting together collections of some of our very, very best interviews and favorite guests and stories that we can't stop talking about and all of the little clips from another round that keep playing in our heads over and over and over again, like our favorite moments. We're going to package all those up for you very, very nicely. Tie it with the bow. You're going to love it. I can't wait until you hear it all. And I'll be back in a few weeks, and I can't wait. So this week, we have a new interview for you with someone who was very, very, very interesting and super, super smart. He's a writer, and he's a professor and a researcher, and he studies drugs and just knows a whole lot of stuff. Carl Hart's work challenges a lot of what I think everybody, at least in America, is told about drugs growing up. And I find his work especially especially valuable as a black person because he himself is black. And so a lot of the work that he does and a lot of the talking that he does focuses a lot on black people in the black community in particular. So this interview is about stepping back a little bit and looking at the bigger picture versus individual cases of addiction here and there. 
And we are going to look at not just how people use drugs, but how drug treatment and criminalization affect communities. And we're going to talk about myths about addiction and drug use and just a ton of stuff. There's so, so many places that conversations like these can go. And of course, there's a very, very necessary disclaimer that we have to make before you listen to this interview, and that is to be careful and safe when you take drugs. If you decide that it's a thing that you want to do, we're not here to tell you yay or nay. Just be careful, be knowledgeable, do some research, do lots and lots and lots of reading. And this is not just my advice. It's also your mama's advice and it's Carl Hart's advice, too. So he probably knows what he's talking about. So you should listen to him. Opioid overdose has killed more than 28,000 people in 2014 in the United States, according to the CDC. Nearly half of the folks in federal prison are there for drug-related offenses. So this is not like a small deal. This is not like a small conversation to have. So be smart. Be serious. Don't play. Drugs ain't a joke. I love you. Be safe and healthy. So we are super, super, super thrilled to have our next guest in the studio with us. I am am particularly chomping at the bit to get into this conversation. We are here with Dr. Carl Hart. He is the chair of the Department of Psychology at Columbia University. He has published nearly 100 articles on neuropsychopharmacology, which is a word that I just learned how to say today. He has co-authored textbooks. He's won a ton of awards. And his most recent book is called High Price, A Neuroscientist's Journey of Self-Discovery That Challenges Everything You Know About Drugs in Society. Welcome, Dr. Carl Hart. I'm happy to be here. We are excited to have you. I was so... (laughs) So many questions, but we're going to start first with this particular question. What do you do and why? Well, I study the effects of drugs, and of course, I'm a professor at Columbia. Um, I study the effects of drugs because I I thought that if I better understood how drugs worked on the brain, I could cure drug addiction, and I believed that drug addiction was the problem, the major problem facing black people in our communities. I thought that drug addiction was leading to crime, poverty, high unemployment, all of those sorts of things. So I wanted to make my contribution. That's why I started studying drugs. I no longer believe that, and we can talk about reasons why. Yeah. Um, And, of course, I teach in order to try to have some impact, influence on future generations. And teaching you, particularly if you're tenured, you will actually become free to say exactly what you think and not really care what people think. (laughs) Like, what's you going to do, fire me? Right, exactly. So you said that you no longer believe that drugs are the number one problem plaguing black America and that it's drugs that have led to all of this crime and destruction. You no longer believe that. What changed and what do you now believe? Well, one of the things that changed is that I got data, evidence, and I started to really critically evaluate this evidence. And one of the things that I learned quite quickly was that most people who use these drugs that I was concerned about, crack cocaine, heroin, and those sorts of drugs, are not addicted. And most of those people who use those drugs are responsible folks in our society. Hmm. Now, if that's the case, then I couldn't blame the drugs or even drug addiction. I had to look further. And then as I started to look further, I started to realize that, wait a second, problems of poverty and crime were here in our communities long before drugs ever appeared. Mm -hmm. And so it just made me look deeper and deeper and start to see some um, rather obvious sort of um, problems, uh, uh, reasons for the problems. Like mm-hmm. people have just been shut out, racial discrimination, poor education, lack of opportunities. All of these sorts of things are far more important than drugs. So, 
a little bit of background about me. I was uh, a dare kid when I was little, and it worked very, very well. I didn't start. I'm 34 years old now. I didn't have my first, like, drink drink until I was, like, 26, I think. I didn't even, uh, I didn't even, like, smoke weed for the first time until this past year. So I'm very much of the drugs are bad. They ruin families. I've seen movies where you got like the the fiends sweating and shaking and like clawing at the neck and all this other stuff. I'm reading your book High Price now. And I don't know. I'm just like, how can how can any of this be true? So there are different things and different claims you make, both in your book and in other interviews where I'm just like, this is the antithesis of everything that I was taught. So what is, in your opinion, the biggest myth or misconception about illegal drugs? Well, first of all, I got the same education as you. Uh So I believed all those things that you believed. That's why I became a scientist. But, you know, I discovered that we were hoodwinked. And and when we think about the biggest myths, those were the reasons that Mm -hmm. we were... Uh, like I said, most of the people who use these drugs are not addicted. That's one myth. Uh, mm-hmm. Another myth is that um, when people use drugs, they engage in this horrible, these heinous acts. It's just right. simply not true. Let's just think about the last three presidents of the United States, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton. All of those guys use drugs as mm-hmm. young men. Our presidents always have used sedatives to sleep and stimulants to go, uh, to wake up. I mm-hmm. mean, and stimulants like amphetamines in many cases. And that's a smart sort of thing. Our military uses, uses amphetamines in some cases, pilots and people who work extended periods. They use mm-hmm. amphetamines. They use sedative. They use all of these drugs that we have vilified. It's just that when certain people use these drugs, we don't vilify right. these drugs. So the, the goal, typically our sort of goal in our drug education is to vilify certain people who a certain uh, drug use is associated with. And mm-hmm. so it's not, it has little to do with the pharmacology of the drug. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with who we like in this society and who we don't like in this society. Yeah. We can, we can, we can take this from a biological or pharmacological perspective all the way to a social perspective. But that's the kind of education that I got that radically changed my mind about this. So you've said that you think all drugs should be legal, right? Yes. What does that world look like? A world where yeah. crack's legal, heroin's legal, everything's legal. Like, What does that world and society look like? Well, um, so when I say when I say that drugs should be legal, I mean legally regulated. That just like we legally regulate tobacco and alcohol. Okay. And the major reason that I am uh, now pushing for uh, drug legal regulation is because of the adulterants, the cuts. Um, mm. The cuts are more dangerous than the drugs themselves. And the only way to really deal with the cuts is that we have some sort of quality control. And I don't know exactly. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility in how we can make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we can say, okay, the, maybe we won't legally regulate drugs, but people who use illegal drugs can always, we have this free service for them to test their drugs. I would be happy with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, say we may want to have more restrictions on heroin than we do on tobacco. and um, we, we can change the levels of restriction, but we have to make sure we have quality control. That's my major concern. So talk to me more about the certain drugs and how they become problems in the hands of certain types of people. I mean, obviously, you know, there's like the war on drugs, which, you know, during the 80s, crack was like the supervillain. Like there was um, 
George Bush and his famous crack address where he was like, we went across the street and we found, you yeah. know, we purchased crack cocaine, blah, 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 blah. And crack in my head, you know, is something that black people use. You know, this is the stuff that you see um, in like Spike Lee movies. These are the fiends on the corner. And then there's like coke or there's cocaine, which is like the fancy, glamorous drug that all the white folks in like, I don't know, raves. Is that what they use? I've never uh, been to a rave. I don't know. Well, um, let's think about that so that we can think about crack. And First of all, the vast majority of crack users are white. That's mm. number one. But... In the 1980s, one of the things that happened in the United States, the images that we showed on our news broadcasts and so forth were of black people in urban sort of areas using crack. And Mm -hmm. so that has been burnt in the American sort of conscious that this is the the typical crack user. Mm -hmm. It's not true when you look at the evidence. That's one. Mm -hmm. We have to think about history a little bit. We go all the way back to the early 1900s. Cocaine was per capita larger than what it is now. Mm-hmm. And so people gave folks day laborers cocaine. Uh, we had cocaine in all kinds of medicines. Coca-Cola had cocaine yeah. in those sorts of things. Co- cocaine was a really uh, a useful drug. It was a useful stimulant. It picked people up. People used it well. Then in the South, one of the things that began to trouble people were that black people were now using cocaine. Mm. And so now when black people started to use cocaine, one of the things that happened was that there were newspaper articles, there were scientific articles coming out talking about the Negro cocaine fiend in the South. Uh, Mm -hmm. New York Times, February 8th, 1914, they ran an article called Negro Cocaine Fiends Are a New Southern Menace. In this article, they described how black people, when they took cocaine, they became more murderous, Mm -hmm. they became better marksmen, and they were unaffected by 32 caliber weapon bullets. Wow, wait. (laughs) In this article, this guy described, the physician described how you can put six rounds of a 32 caliber bullet in people in black people's chest their hearts and not stop them what the thing about it is that people believed it such that southern police forces moved away from the 32 caliber weapon to the 38 caliber weapon this is true and we do this oftentimes when we want to have police increase the caliber of their weapons we use some drug sort of example Uh of course it's an exaggeration So that's cocaine with the black folks. There was also opioids with Chinese folks, the Chinese railroad workers who we couldn't figure out how to get rid of once the railroads were built. So Mm -hmm. we vilified their use of opium. Um, Fast forward to the 1930s, we started to vilify the Mexicans and marijuana, Mm -hmm. also black people with marijuana. So when when you start to have drug use by undesired groups, particularly when there is a new form of the drug. New form just simply means that there's a new route of administration. Um, Like cocaine, crack cocaine and powder cocaine are essentially, they're the same drug. They're the exact same drug. Exact same drug. It's just that uh, one is smoked and one is snorted. Mm -hmm. And um, and the, the smoke, cocaine was associated with black people based on those media images. And so you had to vilify this drug by saying it's new, more powerful, more dangerous, more addictive. Mm-hmm. And so we, we punished that penalties associated with that drugs a hundred times more harshly than those associated with powder cocaine. Right. Fast forward to the late 90s, we started to vilify poor white people in rural areas and gay people with methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. Same sorts of thing happened, uh, saying that this is now the most dangerous drugs that Americans have have ever seen Mm -hmm. we're doing it again right now with heroin and those sorts of drugs again with rural poor white people right um but we're also in in the case of heroin 
many of the people who are being arrested for heroin trafficking are black folks. Mm -hmm. And so our drug policy serves as a great way to further marginalize those people who are already on the margins. It has little to do with pharmacology or biology. It mm -hmm. has everything to do with this issue of um, the, the social, uh, how we socially uh, assassinate people. Sheesh. So, okay, well, we, you talked about how cause has been confused for effect when it comes to drugs. Like, the problem in black societies isn't that we're all, like, out on the corner smoking crack or whatever. It's that there's systemic racism, and it's that the institution of racism and segregation is really decimating our community. How do you reverse so many years of just, like, devastation? Well, one has to have a multi-prone approach. Uh, when, you th when you think about, I mean, what I'm trying to do, I teach at a university, so I'm trying to educate future, future generations, and they will be leaders like our president. I write books. I'm trying to reach the public. Um, I, I want people to understand... I dealt drugs, um, and now I'm who I am. Mm -hmm. um, not only that, I try to have people understand I use drugs, and uh, there are a number of people like me who use drugs and are successful. We pay taxes. We are responsible. We're trying to make this country a better place to mm -hmm. be. And so I'm, I'm trying to set an example of what a real drug user look like. Mm -hmm. uh, and not What does the, a real drug user look like? A real drug user uh, typically is white <laughs> in the United States, but they are responsible. They are respected in their communities. They have handle their responsibilities. That's the typical drug user. Mm. Um, and so I'm trying to help people to understand that the caricature that they have about the drug user is inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And it's just that, a caricature. So you mentioned that you yourself sold drugs at one point. Talk to me about that. When I was in high school, I grew up in Miami. Uh, Miami, of course, you know, we are a major port for, or a major port for drugs, cocaine, marijuana, those sorts of things. It was one of those things that I thought made me a man. Um, mm -hmm. But it was it was not because I was addicted to drugs, not because I needed the money. It was because I wanted to be the man. That's mm -hmm. it. Was there ever a time where you felt like guilty for, quote unquote, peddling drugs to your own community? That's some bullshit. That yeah. whole narrative is such such bullshit. I hear it's these so big in the movies. No, I know in the movies like Public Enemy, their music. Uh, love Public Enemy. Yeah, one of my favorite groups of all time. But they also perpetuated these myths. Spike Lee, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, he perpetuated these myths. I mean. It is true. There are people who are unscrupulous who sells drugs, and mm -hmm. they cut their drugs and they dilute it with stuff that may not be as healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, we that that person deserves our sort of. Uh, we we need to condemn those people. That kind of folk. But the vast majority of people who sell drugs try to have the best product. They want to make sure that people come back. Mm -hmm. They want to be good businessmen. Absolutely, have, it's have about a good product. it's about business mm -hmm. now. And and so when people talk about selling poison. That's just, it just blows my mind because when we think about all these drugs, let's think about cocaine. Uh -huh. Without cocaine, we don't have Novocaine. So when you go to the dentist and you get numbed and so forth, it's because of cocaine. Cocaine was the first local anesthetic and we just modified the chemical structure to make Novocaine. Let's think about methamphetamine. Methamphetamine is FDA approved to treat attention deficit disorder uh -huh. as well as obesity. Heroin is one of our best pain relievers. It mm -hmm. releases, relieves pains, uh, decreases anxiety. These things are excellent for some sort of purposes. Mm -hmm. It's just that people need to know what they do. But the notion that these things are poison 
they certainly can become poisons just like acetaminophen can become poison right. when you have too large of a dose. And just like uh, liquor, you know, like you can just like alcohol. Use alcohol Absolutely. Alcohol is a nice example. Alcohol is outstanding, particularly when you have to attend boring ass receptions like I have to do <laughs> oftentimes. And, 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 and when you have alcohol on board or other people have alcohol on board, it becomes more interesting. What is it like to be a black male drug researcher in such a white space like Columbia? I mean, you can ask that question, like, what is it like to be a black male in this fucking country? Sure. <laughs> Number one. And so when I think about that, first of all, let's let's walk in my life for a second. So I wrote High Price and it, it hit big in Brazil, Thailand, Switzerland, you know, all of these places. So I meet with presidents, ex-presidents, um, all of these government officials and royalty folks, and, and they want to know what I think about drugs. And, mm-hmm. and then I come back to my home, for example, here in New York, and then I see, uh, I'm going into my home and the police are scoping me out, uh, thinking that I'm breaking into my crib. Mm-hmm. Or when I'm in New York and sometimes I can't get a taxi, you know, these this kind of thing. So when I walk outside of the gates of Columbia, I'm just another nigga. I mean, so that that does a number on one. And, that, and so when we think about how is it being a black researcher in these spaces, being a black researcher in these spaces, of course, I stand out and I'm aberrant and those sorts of things, but it pales in comparison to what it's like to be a black man, uh, me, in mm-hmm. walking the streets of New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's um, that's more difficult than being a black researcher. Um, being a black researcher, at least people know, particularly now, who I am and I belong in those spaces. So now it's no big deal. I am me and they know who I am. So, mm-hmm. um, I, but when you start to advocate the positions for the positions which I advocate, you know, it makes some of my white colleagues uncomfortable. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't give a fuck because I think about my kids. I think about future uh, black kids who are coming up in these spaces in the United States and what my responsibility is to them Mm -hmm. and not so much what my responsibility is to the field or to a university or to my profession. Mm -hmm. So in my head, before this conversation at least, when I think about a world in which drugs are legal like properly regulated and all that in my head it, it looks like a dystopian novel where like you've got normal regular people I think I'm pretty normal and regular like me you know and maybe I never would have tried a drug like heroin or whatever if they had remained illegal but since they're legal I'm like let me try it and then like a week later I'm like shaking in an alley like I, I feel like that's my biggest fear when I think of that scenario is that a bunch of people who otherwise would not have been addicted would then get addicted and then the world is just shit. Yeah. So, um, you know, we worried about that with cars, you know. And so. Uh, <laughs> with cars? Uh, well, you know, you make cars more available. You got all these sort of untrained people, these uh, people who are not expert drivers driving on the highway. You're going to have a lot of people who wouldn't have gotten behind the wheel. They, they might kill themselves. We, mm. we had similar concerns. But, you know, it turned out all right with some training. We teach people how to do these Uh things. Um, um, So same could be said with sex. Uh, We think about Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Alaska. 
all of those states have legalized marijuana. There was that concern. Mm -hmm. We thought those states would fall apart. People would be coming there just to get high. And you see all these people on the street getting high. Mm -hmm. Not the case. People are responsible and they're doing all right in those states. I just came back from Portugal. They decriminalized all drugs. Not legal, but uh, you can have a 10-day supply of drugs on you without fearing criminal prosecution. Mm. And so I was at a festival of 40,000 people where drug use was rampant at this festival. And uh, you talk about this dystopian novel. Um, <laughs> it looked like Woodstock or something like that uh, for two weeks damn near I was there. Yeah, a lot of people were indulging. But uh, of that 40,000 people, I was working in a service to help people who overindulged. So I was mm -hmm. there volunteering. We have 40,000 people at that festival. In our service, we saw 400 people who had overindulged. Mm -hmm. So that's about 1% of the people, of the total number of people. Um, so by overindulge, you don't mean overdose? Not overdose. No, okay. no, no, uh, not, not that sort of thing. I just simply mean they had a bad trip. They yeah. got anxious and so forth. But the point is, is that the vast majority of people will, who use drugs will do so responsibly, just like the vast majority of people who engage in sexual behavior will do so safely and responsibly, just like the vast majority of people who drive automobiles. It's not that different. But mm -hmm. we have to provide the proper amount of education, and we have to dispense with these myths about drugs. How come, what is it about bath salts that makes people eat other people's faces? Oh, well, you know that's not true. What? Um, <laughs> it has to be true. It was in the media. <laughs> the internet would not lie to me. <laughs> yeah, you know the, the Miami famous case. I don't know if you know yeah. the Miami famous case. Uh, so the guy the, ate off the other guy's face, and they said it was bath salts. And uh -huh. then um, when they tested his the toxicology of the guy and see what he had in his system, the only thing he had in the system was THC. And we don't know when the last he had smoked THC. He probably was not in, intoxicated on THC at the time. Uh, but what we understand is that he was hyper-religious. And mm. so it's more likely that his religion had him do that. So, so rather than banning drugs. face-biting, face-eating religion. Well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was a Christian or whatever. But the, the point is, is that rather than banning drugs, we should be banning religion. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. I see what you did there. Just so just so I have this clear, if I leave here today and I decide I want to go try heroin, um, there's no guarantee that I will be instantly addicted to heroin and I have to shoot up every day for the rest of my life. Addiction requires work. So you have to engage in this behavior repeatedly before you're addicted. Mm -hmm. um, so the likelihood, the notion that one becomes addicted after one hit, if anybody tells you that, that's a license for you to stop listening because mm -hmm. either they think you are an idiot or they are an idiot. In either case, you should not be listening to that person. All right. What do you, you have sons, right? Three sons? Yeah. What? Do you tell them about drugs? What have you taught them about drugs? When we talk about drugs, usually it doesn't start with drugs unless there's a specific question. The thing that I've done with my kids, have tried, I've tried to instill in them long-term goals and mm -hmm. try to make sure that they understand that they have to make a contribution in this society. If we're talking about drugs specifically, like my kids, when the drug that we will have talked about is alcohol and marijuana because mm -hmm. they're the most prevalent among young people. 
And so we talk about things like, okay, if you use marijuana, the thing that we wor- I worry about is that you are a novice. You want to start with lower doses. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids, a couple of my kids have asthma. You smoke and weed, uh, make sure you have your pump with you. Make right. sure you, you are ready. Make sure you call me. Where are you getting the weed from? Uh, mm-hmm. I worry about the adulterants in drugs. Um, but I teach them about routes of administration. These are the kinds of things that I help. I try to help them to anticipate what might go wrong and what are the beneficial effects. And uh, this is one of the things that I stress, I should say, is that please do not put yourself in a situation where you run the risk of being arrested by police mm-hmm. or, or where police might be near. Mm-hmm. If you have to, even if you have to come to the crib, that's cool. But I don't want you out there uh, having any interactions or I want to make sure I minimize your interactions with the police because I'd much rather have my kids interact with drugs than mm-hmm. the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I used to say this a couple years ago, several years ago, people thought, like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Now we get it. We get it. We don't. We really want to minimize young black men and boys' interactions with the police because mm-hmm. they are, unlike drugs, drugs, drug effects are predictable. Police interactions with these young black boys mm-hmm. and men are not predictable. Exactly. Too often these guys end up dead. Mm-hmm. So the education you impart on your sons as far as drugs go is this is how to properly do it and not don't use them. Yeah, they understand that, for example, you you do a drug like weed, just like alcohol. Mm-hmm. You don't smoke weed when you have to do some activity, like mm-hmm. cognitive activity, and you don't allow it to disrupt your ability to achieve. I mm-hmm. mean, because if you do, now you got a problem with me. Otherwise, if that's your time off, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you know how to do it well and right. How young is too young for somebody to start experimenting with drugs? Because, like, you know, the brain is, like, still being developed at a certain age, right? So, like, how young is too young? Now, I would not want my children to be using drugs when they are children and Mm -hmm. not adults. But that might be unrealistic. I can expect, based on the data, that my kids might start smoking marijuana at 15 or 16 years old. Mm -hmm. How old are they? I have a 21-year-old and a 15-year-old, okay. um, the, the younger ones. And so um, I can expect that they may have done marijuana. I know I certainly did. I, the time, first time I spoke was I think I was 15 or so. My first goal is to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're smoking at like 14 or below, um, then we might have a problem with supervision, me as a parent. I'm mm-hmm. not doing my job in terms of supervision. Um, what drugs do you do? Um, that's a that's a hell of a question. So I want to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about uh, what drugs I do, it's hard to say because I will do what drug the situation calls for. So it's better to speak about what class of drugs I've done. Okay. I mean, like I have done from stimulants to sedatives to opiates to weed to uh, psychedelics, you know, so a wide range of classes of drugs I've done. Do you have a favorite? Used to be the opiates, like heroin and um, those sorts of things. But uh, I think MDMA, they call it, the kids call it Molly, mm-hmm. you know, that drug. I think that might be my favorite. Really? Today. Why? I'm terrified of Molly. All I know is that you take it at a club and then you sweat to death and then you die and then it's over. 
Yeah, again, <laughs> like you said, that this is the stuff that we're trying to correct. Um, um, so let, let's think about let's think about Molly. Molly, the proper name is called methylene dioxymethamphetamine. So okay. it's an amphetamine. Adderall is an amphetamine. Mm-hmm. So you get you are you are alert, and you and one of the things that happens with Molly is that you're really euphoric. And you are really uh, sensitive to touch and uh, connected with the people around you. Mm-hmm. So particularly if you like those people, it's better to do Molly with people or around people you like because uh-huh. you might end up telling somebody you love them and you hate their ass. So you want to be careful <laughs> with that sort of thing. Um, and, and so I like it because it, it increases energy, alertness, and euphoria and closeness, connection with folks. That's why I dig it. Mm-hmm. So, like, how do you how do you safely do Molly? My major concern with drugs are the adulterants, the things that people cut drugs with. Now, and sometimes people try to stretch their product, and they might put something in it that's actually more harmful than the drug itself. Mm-hmm. So, I've been pushing that we test drugs in our society, so users know what they're getting. So, if you have one hundred percent pure Molly MDMA. Mm-hmm. And you take it in doses ranging from about, let's say, 70 milligrams to about 120 milligrams. That's a, safe, that's a relatively safe dose. The concern is that when people don't know what they have and people may be taking doses that are too large, just like if you drink a fifth of vodka right. uh, in one setting, uh, you can probably get into some problems with that. If you take too much Molly... Same sort of thing. You can get into some problems, uh, high blood pressure, sweating, temperature increases, all of those sorts of things. And so you want to make sure people know the dose. You want to make sure people have quality stuff. Our government and our public health officials have been irresponsible in that we have not been making sure people stay safe. Mm. This is all reminding me of the um, abstinence only versus like handing out condoms when it comes to like young kids and sex. It's like, well, they're going to do it anyway, so they might as well be safe. And in that arena, I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I would I wouldn't preach abstinence to my kids. But now I'm like, would I tell my kids to never, ever use drugs? And I don't know. I don't know that anymore. Well, it really doesn't matter at some level. Once your kids become adults, they, for sure. they will have they will make up their own mind. So the Absolutely. question for us becomes, do we make sure they have the best available information, whether they use drugs or someone that they love use drugs and they mm-hmm. can help keep them safe? So that's how I approached it. It's like, yeah, I just want to make sure people stay safe. So this is the fun part. In case you have not been having fun this whole time, you're, you'll finally have some fun. This is our rapid fire question segment that we call Pew Pew Pew. These are finger guns. The name is my fault. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Um, so these are going to be very random, sometimes a little weird questions. So you're from Miami. Do you identify as a Southerner? I am a Southerner. What uh, do you miss most about living in the South? The food. Mm. Would you rather be a hamster the size of a rhinoceros or a rhinoceros the size of a hamster? I think I I, I might have to be the small one, the rhinoceros the size of a hamster, just so I can get into small spaces. Uh huh. Where would you go if you were a tiny rhinoceros? Oh, 
probably to the drug spot trying to find, <laughs> a, trying, to find trying to find the spot where they don't see me yeah. <laughs> if you were going to invent a drug what properties would you want it to have oh if i was going to invent a drug the number one property it has to have is euphoria that it lasts for an extended period of time Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not a vasoconstrictor such that um, men can get erections, no problem, and women can get lubricated, no problem. So, um, and it makes you alert and uh, feel close and warm to people. Uh huh. What would you call it? Uh, damn, they already tuck ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> um, probably Nirvana, I guess. That's a good name for yeah. a drug. Would you rather have two noses or two mouths? Noses. Uh, we need to get rid of mouths. People don't listen enough. <laughs> <laughs> but how would you eat if nobody had mouths? Well, you can always figure that out. You can just shoot your nutrition via intravenously and that'll, that'll be fine. That doesn't sound fun. What celebrity would you most want to get high with? Wow. you Living or dead? You Either. Mean- um, the celebrity I would like to get high with most would be, I don't know if he's a celebrity, but James Baldwin would be on the list and Gil Scott Heron. Ooh, uh, I love Gil Scott Heron. So those two I would like to uh, get high with. What drugs will give you the best sexual experience? It depends. So, you know, like we have Viagra and we have uh, Cialis for, for men. Now, they work on outside of the brain. Um, so, like, when we think of they will certainly give some people a great drug, uh, great sexual experience. But currently, I think ecstasy might be the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As long as you deal with that vasoconstriction sort of issue, because it causes vasoconstriction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it could disrupt um, maintaining of an erection and those sorts of things. Would you rather give bad advice or take bad advice? Take bad advice. I try not to give advice. I try not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You try not to give advice at all? I give advice, but I try to make sure that I give advice in domains that I know something about. I try not to overreach my expertise. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in the public eye, that's what they specialize in. Most of the people in the public eye, they specialize in giving bad advice, giving advice outside of their ex- expertise. Mm-hmm. What, if anything, do you miss about the military? I served all my time overseas in the military. I miss how we as Americans, for example, black Americans, white Americans, Hispanics, Asian, whatever we are, we were all like one. Mm. And it was not like these divisions because in the military, you just didn't have that kind of division. Uh, and we all partied together. We all hung out together. We did all of these things together. We were actually, we were brothers and sisters together. Mm-hmm. I miss that about the military. Mm. Dr. Hart, this has been fascinating. I'm going to continue wrestling with my, with my dare demons. I feel like I've got some some tools now that I didn't have before. So this has been great. Where can people find you in your work? I really enjoy being here. I dig what you do. So Aww. thank you for having me Of here. course. Come back and see us. I dig what you do. Um, they can find me on my website, uh, Dr. Carl Hart, one word, uh, dot com. Mm-hmm. And that's Hart, H-A-R-T? That's exactly right. And mm-hmm. also Twitter. Twitter. The Twitter handle is Dr. Carl Hart as well. So 
I'm on Twitter. Um, check me out. Or you can just do a Google and my name, it'll pop up. All right. Yeah. Do some Googles, y'all. Thank you so much, Dr. Hart. Thank you. We did it. We did it. We did it. Woo! That, if you're just joining us, is heaven. my impression of heaven's attempt at an air horn. Bless her heart. She tries so hard. Thank you so much to Dr. Carl Hart and all of his thoughts and insights. If you are curious to find out whether or not this conversation is going to send me looking for <laughs> illegal drugs or not, follow me and all of my antics on Twitter at Broken McPoverty. And as usual, you can follow Heaven on Twitter at Heaven Rants. That's Heaven like the place in the sky. Rants like the thing that Donald Trump is probably doing right now, very loudly in somebody's face. Shout out to the Pod Squad. Yay! <coughs> Yay! <laughs> This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan and Julia Ferlin, and we would like to welcome the amazing Miss Chiquita Pascal, yay, who has been a member on the team and working her magic behind the scenes. And as always, thank you to Meg Kramer. Hey, girl, hey. Um, thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios for all of his priceless help. Thank you to our in-house musicians, Miss Jean Gray. You can follow her on Twitter at Jean Greasy. And to Don Will of the Almighty Tanya Morgan, you can follow him on Twitter at Don Will. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at Another Round. You can email us, anotherroundatbuzzfeed.com. Sign up for the newsletter because it's so good. You can do that at buzzfeed.com slash anotherround slash newsletter. You can get you at Another Round t-shirt. You can get you at Another Round mug. You can get your person a mug or a t-shirt if you want. It's your money. I'm not here to count it. I'll tell you how to spend it. Just go spend it at shop.buzzfeed.com. <laughs> I did tell you how to spend it. I'm sorry. Um, I think that's it. Bye. <laughs>